our beloved chiropractic profession faces challenges like never before. These challenges come from not only outside the profession, but also from within. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Braille, and I've had the opportunity to see this profession as a practitioner, a teacher, an administrator, and a politician. In my over 40 years in chiropractic, I've just about seen it all. Join me on Cairo Rants for an honest and no-holds-barred discussion about all aspects of chiropractic practice, politics, education, and philosophy. We'll talk about subjects that most only want to whisper about, and we'll interview the leaders in our profession to get some straight-up answers. If you're looking for a politically correct chiropractic discussion, this is not the place. Welcome to Cairo Rants. Dogma is a weakness in philosophy. There, I've said it. Hi, I'm Dr. Barbrell, and welcome to this edition of Cairo Rants. Um, one of the things that has always gotten me over the years, and I'm going to rant about it in this particular podcast, is the idea of chiropractors who spout dogma but really don't own the philosophy. I mean, as a student, I see a lot of young chiropractors coming out all, you know, full of viv and ver and, you know, excited about the principle and saying all the right things and even quoting BJ. And then they get in practice and in a very short amount of time, that's gone. And one of the problems that I have noticed over the years is the mix-up between dogma and the actual principle and philosophy. Uh, sometimes we get too caught up in what the dogma is of chiropractic and miss the actual strength of the principle. You know, my practice hasn't really changed much in how I approach taking care of people other than technique improvements uh, and my skill improvements in uh, my over 40 years in practice. And part of that is that I, I've been grounded in a philosophy and a principle, not in the dogma of chiropractic. You know, there's a lot of uh, things we have running around like uh, chiropractic is above, down, inside, out. Well, that's not true. Healing comes from above, down, inside, out. Chiropractic is actually an outside-in intervention. And we would say, what? It's not a treatment, but it's an outside-in intervention. And let me talk a little bit about that point, and then we'll kind of generalize it here. If you think about a subluxation, a subluxation is created by an outside-in influence. Uh, it could be a physical one. It could be a toxic one. And I know we talk about autosuggestion. Well, keep in mind, autosuggestion comes from a reaction to an outside stimulus. In other words, something happens in life, it's traumatic, and that causes your internals to create subluxation. So that, that's still an outside-in <clears throat> excuse me, intervention. So subluxations are created from an outside-in stimulus of some kind. Uh, it doesn't happen really any other way. So therefore, the correction of that, the reversal of that outside-in stimulus must be a counter, 180-degree counter outside-in stimulus to undo the obstruction, the subluxation. Now, that doesn't mean the healing is outside-in because the healing was always there it was just obstructed by the subluxation. So let's take, for instance, very simple. Somebody falls down, they create a subluxation. There's an external force that actually created an impact that caused changes in structure and therefore spinal subluxations. Great. Your approach then is to 
put a force from the inside out, uh, from the outside in, a physical adjustment of some kind, no matter what the technique is, to remove nerve interference to correct that subluxation, whether it be singularly or multiple or whatever the technique is you're using. But you're actually introducing an outside-in force, counter to the one that was given in the first place. You know, I remember years ago hearing of stories, and we learn about this in school, that, you know, somebody fell down and they lost the hearing, and then they fell down a second time and the hearing came back, you know. Well, it was two counter forces. You know, the first force was destructive. The second force was constructive. You know, BJ talked about a cumulative constructive survival values and a cumulative destructive survival values. So in the case of <clears throat> a subluxation, it was created by some sort of an outside force. Now, it doesn't have to be an identical force. In other words, if somebody falls and it's a physical trauma and you're introducing a physical adjustment to correct it, well, that's kind of an equal and opposite force. If there's a chemical force involved, that doesn't mean you have to add outside chemicals to reverse the process. In fact, I would doubt that's even possible. You can still be introducing an opposite force in the form of a physical force to counter the chemical force that created the subluxation. The same thing with the auto-suggestion or the stress that we hear everybody's under. You're introducing a physical opposite outside-in intervention to allow the inside-out proper homeostatic functioning and healing to take place. So it's not like your, your service is inside out. Your service is actually outside in. The healing is inside out. Now, with a lot of chiropractors, there's a dogma around the whole concept of, of chiropractic and uh, we don't do this because of this and we don't do that because of that. Um, all of that doesn't really hold weight under the principle. The principle is you introduce an outside force okay, that allows correction of nerve interference, mental impulse, if you will, and allows the body from the inside out to heal. If it were otherwise, we've heard this story before, that you could take a cadaver, introduce the same outside in force, and they should heal. <laughs> they don't because the healing comes from the inside out. Your force would still be the same. In other words, whether you're adjusting a live person or a dead person, you're making the same adjustment, but you are basically only going to get a result on the one that actually has the ability to heal from the inside out. Now, understanding that as a chiropractic philosophy is, is an absolutely, you know, brilliant concept as well as one that's endearing and enduring, uh, both endearing and enduring, I would guess. Because, you know, over the years, a lot of chiropractic students that I have seen come out with the, oh, yeah, I understand that. And then the moment they're faced with a particular set of symptoms or something, they're looking for another way to treat that person. <laughs> you know, oh, it's a shoulder. Let me treat the shoulder. Let me, let me treat this. So we're going to add those procedures or this procedures. Well, keeping in mind that if your forces that you're adding or putting in there are to reverse an outside force that occurred and allow body to heal, okay, then I'm saying you're within the principle. And, and hopefully it's an adjustment, but there could be some others if, if I'm shown them. But in most cases, it's not. In most cases, it's a treatment. Even though they're spouting the dogma of chiropractic, it's an outside-in treatment. Now, granted, there are many chiropractic students coming from a majority of the chiropractic college at this point who don't have that philosophy whatsoever. They're, they're a strictly in a treatment mode of 
patient comes in, what do they got, and we tailor the treatment around that. Um, Dr. Sid Williams um, used to say years ago that we have a narrow, a narrow focus but a broad appeal, as opposed to a broad appeal and a narrow focus. Uh, what he meant by that was if your focus is specifically zeroed in, focused in on correction of nerve interference, of subluxation, you have a wide effect on the human body, a, an unlimited effect on the wideness of the effect of the human body and the things that your body can deal with because your body can basically on its own treat anything if under the right circumstances you have no nerve interference, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, if you're uh, armamentarian is a broad approach, you have to narrow it down to a specific entity to apply that. You see, if a person goes for a surgical procedure, there, there are many surgical procedures out there. I mean, a broad armamentarian of surgical procedures available to the surgeon. But for him to take care of a person, he has to narrow it down to one procedure for one condition in order to apply it. And then it's very narrow in that application and very narrow in its effect. We're actually opposite that, you know. We start at the narrow end of the funnel, make the adjustment. It has a wide end as the patient effect. They start at the wide end of the funnel, all these different procedures, squish them all down until they have a very narrow effect on one issue in the patient. Uh, so we're actually opposite from a, a medical standpoint, from a medical approach. And understanding that philosophically, understanding that from a principal standpoint, goes far beyond reciting the dogma of what chiropractic is and isn't and does and does not do. The arguments of whether or not we do certain procedures uh, relative to uh, a person, and, and I can remember years ago having an argument with a, a very famous chiropractor about blood pressure. Now, I don't do blood pressures in my office. Um, part of the problem is because my hearing was never good enough to use a stethoscope to be able to hear <laughs> the beats correctly, although they have the you know, the electronic ones today, but I don't, that wasn't something I decided I wanted to do. I don't use that information, therefore I don't do it. <clears throat> now, there were, of course, there are chiropractors who say you should do it every time, uh, and there are those who say you should never do it because it's a medical procedure. I don't agree with either one of those, by the way. Uh, a blood, taking a blood pressure, in my opinion, is not a medical procedure unless the intent of it is to decide how to treat the blood pressure, you know, or to diagnose them as hypertension then the application of it is actually a, a medical procedure. But if taking a blood pressure is nothing more than looking at the body's physiology and then making adjustments to see the changes in physiology, then it's not a medical procedure anymore. It actually can be called a chiropractic one if, if you so use it that way. And I'll give you what I consider a parallel. Um, thermography, okay, has been in chiropractic for over 100 years at this point in some form or another, or close to 100 years in some form or another. And if you think about reading heat along the spine or reading heat in the body itself, you know, you could make the argument that that's a medical procedure because it's used to determine fever or used to, you know, to determine heat patterns. And yet you could counter-argue that it's a chiropractic procedure because it's used to determine changes in heat along the spine, either in brake work or pattern work, depending upon what uh, kind of analysis you're using. But uh, we use, uh, you know, subluxation station and uh, thermography uh, all the time in our office. All of our new patients get it, and all of our current patients get updates on that, as well as surface EMG. Now, you can claim either one of those procedures, 
is strictly medical, but the application that we use them for is the determination of the body's physiology changes relative to subluxation and the correction thereof later on down the line. Now, if you use blood pressure for the same means, you're not determining what a proper blood pressure is. Um, you're determining whether or not your adjustments are causing a change in it because it might be normal for it to go up if there's certain circumstances. It might be normal for it to come down. We know at certain, at certain limits from being professionals that there are certain numbers that, you know what, if it's above that, that's a little bit, <laughs> that's abnormal. Uh, you know, I don't think that's normal for that patient kind of a scenario. <clears throat> but not to have to call it something, but rather as a determination of changes in physiology. Now, is it something that needs to be done? Well, that's, that's the bigger question. You know, do you need to go through full blood work before you give an adjustment to determine the changes in physiology and then do post-blood work? By the way, I know chiropractors, very famous chiropractors who used to do that. And BJ did it in many cases in his research clinics where blood work was done, adjustments were given, and posts were done, you know, to see the changes there. The same thing with cardiograms. Uh, in fact, there was an instructor I used to have at Life University who used to do that on students, do an EKG, and then adjust them and do post EKGs to show them the changes in physiology of cardiology. And what a wonderful concept and learning thing it was to have students see those differences. Now, is that something you want to do in your office? Well, there's a certain point of which it's not economically feasible, nor is it really you know, good for the patient uh, time-wise and expense-wise to do it. It's just unnecessary. That doesn't make it a medical procedure unless the intent is medical. So the idea of dogma would be to rule out a whole bunch of ideas and concepts and thought processes you know, and or physical testing. I mean, there was a time when people considered MRI nothing but medical procedure. There are many chiropractors using MRI now. Or ultrasound for diagnostic purposes relative positions of bones as opposed to ultrasound for a disease treatment and or another disease analysis. So in chiropractic, you know, the philosophy should be strong enough to not need the dogma to exist. And one of the weaknesses I think we have is that there are a lot of uh, younger chiropractors, I would think more so because after a while, a chiropractor comes set in his ways one direction or another, in my opinion, anyway. Uh, but uh, younger chiropractors in schools who come out and they, ha they say the right things initially, but faced with the first or second real-world uh, encounter where things don't fall into that nice dogmatic slot, um, they start to drift away a little bit and start to go in directions that are more uh, violation of their own dogma, but certainly not principle. And that usually tells me that they could say the words nicely, but they didn't own the principle and own the philosophy the way it needed to be owned. You know, if you own it, then it, you know, people could come up against you and it, you have strength. Um, I, I teach a lot of my young chiropractors who were peak students here about uh, speaking in uh, court cases, which I've done a number of over the years, where the attorney would try to drag me into the medical realm and I just stayed within chiropractic and they really couldn't defeat or argue anything I had to say because I stayed within chiropractic. Uh, not a dogmatic approach, strictly a principle approach, simply something I could verify. And in so doing, um, you know, I was, I was in a good place, you know. And chiropractors a lot of times use arguments for even things that are going on currently. I mean, we're at the looks like the tail end of a, of, of a, a year and a half or almost two-year pandemic process here with the COVID scenario. And, uh, you know, there are chiropractors who from the get-go have called this whole thing a farce and uh, 
there are those who've uh, completely subverted to it and uh, said we should go out and get vaccinated. And, you know, I've always been of the, the mindset that uh, regardless of whether or not you think the disease process and the numbers and everything else are real, uh, the fear is real. <laughs> There's an actual fear out there in the public. You can't get around it. It's palpable. It's there. People come in with it. And, you know, my job is to take them from that side of the bridge to my side of the bridge without making them wrong. You know, one of the other issues I've seen, this is more of a political rant on top of the philosophical one, was that uh, in, in, today, in politics in general, one of the consummate mistakes that people make is to try to make themselves right by making the other person wrong. And that, that's not an effective political negotiating tool at all. Um, if you want to get something done, usually want to, you know, you know you're right. You don't have to make them wrong to do it. You have to make them think, okay, you're both right. And then they do what you want as opposed to what they came up with originally. But uh, the idea of we immediately go to battle and they're wrong and I'm right, uh, that, that, that should not be the first approach to any political entity. And, you know, if you make your patients wrong, uh, you're probably not going to keep many of them because many of them don't want to be wrong. So you don't make them wrong. You just uh, bring them to your side of the bridge of understanding, and that changes their perspective. And once a person's perspectives change, they reach that point of enlightenment, and then they don't have to worry about uh, fear anymore because uh, I don't deal from a fear standpoint anyway. And, you know, I've had patients ask me about it. Doc, you, you get vaccinated? No. Uh, and, uh, you know, my answer is I haven't been vaccinated any time in my adult life. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to be doing it for this case. You know, and initially it was, aren't you afraid of the COVID? Well, no, I'm not afraid. You know, that doesn't mean I, I don't realize the fact of it's there because uh, sure enough, a few months back, as I've mentioned on one of my previous, I got COVID. Okay, in three days, I was pretty sick for three days. Now, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't fearful. I was just annoyed at myself. And I actually, the interesting part is I had gotten uh, checked and cleared. I was clear subluxation-wise, uh, twice the week before I finally came down with symptoms and the week before. I get checked weekly, but uh, I got checked uh, like twice that one week, was clear as of Friday, and then Saturday I was with my grandchildren who were sick physically. Uh, that turns out they had COVID. And uh, two days, actually two and a half days later, I became symptomatic. Uh, even though I was pretty concerned, I'm pretty sure my atlas was clear on the Friday before, that uh, didn't mean picking up grandchildren and stuff don't subluxate you, but probably that's a different story for those who have grandchildren that are getting bigger, but you still pick them up. <laughs> and uh, sure enough, by that uh, Monday evening, I was symptomatic and closed the office and had to close for two weeks. Um, I was only symptomatic for three days, as I'd mentioned. And, uh, you know, three days, pretty painful, no real breathing issues, a lot of aches and pains and uh <laughs> a little persistent cough that remained, but that was about it. And then no uh, fever was for about a day. And then I got upset with myself and uh, it was beautiful weather out. So I kind of went outside and started doing a lot of physical work. And sure enough, by the end of that third day, I felt euphoric and felt great again. And uh, it just basically bought me another week and a half off of uh, free time because I was supposed to be in quarantine. So I stayed home and worked on the farm. But that being aside, it never really affected my chiropractic understanding of my chiropractic. I didn't think chiropractic failed because my atlas was clear and I got sick. Well, <laughs> Star Wars is one of my favorite movies, uh, the, the Star Wars series. And uh, 
There's a scene in, I guess it's the um, episode three prequel where um, Ewan McGregor, who's playing the young Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, is talking with the soon-to-be Darth Vader and uh, Anakin Skywalker at that point. And uh, Anakin says, either you're for me or you're against me. And uh, Ewan McGregor uh, um, says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. Well, that's a very prophetic statement because uh, dogmatic is absolutes. You know, uh, my atlas was clear I could never get sick. Well, that, that's not true. There are other things in your life that affect your ability to be healthy um, that are not chiropractic. You know, like, what did you eat? You know, I, I have a, I have a recurrence for eating things that aren't necessarily good for me. Um, what stress were you under? Um, you know, there's a lot of, remember, we talk about five facets of health. Subluxa nerve systems function is one of the five. So could my other ones? Obviously, they had to have been for me to succumb, even holding a sick grandchild for an hour or two or, or more, because she stayed at our house, actually. Um, so, you know, I mean, there are other factors involved. Uh, as a young chiropractor, I used to have patients say after my doctor's report, because I was all some excitement about, sub, you know, correcting subluxation and the body functioning at 100%, and they would say, well, don't you ever get sick? And actually, I didn't at that time, point, but uh, I would say, well, someday we'll even die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> chiropractors die. You know, I mean, uh, we all know famous chiropractors who died before their time or died with certain injuries or uh, Ill illnesses mainly. And it doesn't mean chiropractic failed. The fact that someone becomes symptomatic or becomes sick or catches COVID in my case doesn't mean the principle failed. Uh, Gonstead said, chiropractic always works when it does not appear to. Examine your application. Do not question the principle. You know, if you're holding on to chiropractic by dogma, you will be disappointed the first time you're faced with a challenge like I did with catching COVID. That wasn't the first challenge I've had in my life. But, you know, it, I, my, my belief in chiropractic is based on a solid understanding of principle, not on a dogmatic relationship with a bunch of rules and regulations. So therefore, I don't have a problem with the idea of, you know, okay, I got COVID, you know, and I was, in my opinion, subluxation free at least 48 hours prior to that, because that was the last time I was, eh, less than that, I would think. Uh, so, you know, does that mean chiropractic didn't work? No, it works fine, you know, and at my particular age, I was 65 when that hit me. I'm 66 now, um, and blessed to be here, by the way. Uh, you know, does that mean that age itself had something to do? We, we talk about that not being the case. Well, it's not true either, by the way. Age, age has an effect on it. I just put wear and tear on my body. There are parts on my body that aren't original now, you know, <laughs> um, including some in my mouth and including my hips and uh, the things I see through to be able to read the computer screens in front of me. So, and uh, possibly in the not-too-distant future, some hearing assistance, but, uh, but I've been putting that one off. But that doesn't mean chiropractic doesn't work, you know? Chiropractors get sick, chiropractors die. You know, that's inevitable for all of us, all right? Now, the quality of my life has been higher all along. And, you know, unfortunately, in my instance, and I haven't, and I'm not anticipating the need to at any point, uh, been on any medications for anything. You know, that was one of the things that I was asked uh, prior to my hip ordeal uh, was uh, what medications you taking and I told them none and they they said no 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 but I mean like what what you know what prescriptions are you on none 
Like at that point, I was sixty-something years old. And they're like, "What?" Like you know, they don't meet sixty-year-olds that are not on medications. Um, well, what over counters are you taking for you know, you know the pain and stuff? I'm not taking any. And the nurse said to me, "You're the first person I've ever met scheduled for hip surgery who's not on medication." <laughs> Great, you know. I was also probably the first person she'd ever met who had oral surgery without taking Novocaine. So you know, tough on her, but. You know, that doesn't make, you know, it doesn't mean that I was dogmatic about it. I understood the principle and therefore understood what you're supposed to have. I mean, pain is a natural process. Fred Barge used to say something, and I was younger, so for me it was like not relevant but prophetic. Uh, pain is an exercise in the acceptance of age. <laughs> or excuse me, age, excuse me, the other way around. Age is an exercise in the acceptance of pain. That's what he used to say. Uh, one of the bargisms. And, you know, he, at that point, he was in his late 60s. Uh, he passed early, as a matter of fact, at 70 years old. And, um, you know, I, being much younger than it, not having any pain, it was like, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but it sounds cool. Later on, yeah, okay, I'm getting close to what he was in his, in his years and uh, when he said that. And, yeah, I could feel that, okay? There were a lot of times when things hurt. You know, I, I started getting back into the gym again, and guess what? The next day, I hurt, you know? And it takes longer to recover. That doesn't mean the principle doesn't work, you know? I, st I could still get, in fact, I got checked just the other day after I was, I did a workout. Um, actually, when I got back in, the first workout I did, like a day and a half later, I was in agony. Everything was hurting, and I was like, oh, man. So I had uh, one of my young interns check me out, and guess what? I was holding my adjustment. <laughs> doesn't mean it doesn't work. The principle works, all right? The pain was a normal part of recovery, although longer than when I was in my 20s and 30s, obviously. It takes a lot longer as you get older to recover from a workout, but still, it still functions. So my, my rant today basically was the difference between dogma and principle, and not confusing to, you don't have to own dogma to have the principle, and if you have principle, you probably don't own the dogma. Because you don't need the dogma is an artificial way of propping you up to be able to say you have principle. You know, you can have principle and not have to address the dogma whatsoever. So stay strong, stay with the principle, stay within chiropractic. We are changing the world slowly, but we're going to get there. Uh, even in the midst of this pandemic noise that we hear going on, uh, it's an enlightenment because more and more people are starting to question this, the status quo and Hopefully not from a political standpoint, but hopefully from an enlightenment standpoint and a chiropractic standpoint, because that's where I want them to be to question this, not what political party they do or don't belong to. That's a silly way to approach health care in, in all, in my opinion. But, uh, you know, hopefully people are becoming enlightened. Uh, hopefully you're telling the story as a chiropractor more and more. We're still doing our doctor's reports uh, in smaller groups we have been, but we're going to increase that now. And uh, so, in fact, I've got one this coming day, a couple of days from now. I'll be doing another doctor's report and telling the chiropractic story for an hour like I've done for 40-something years. So thank you for listening to this episode of Cairo Rants. Thank you for listening to Cairo Rants. Subscribe for free and listen to insightful, truthful, and hard-hitting discussions with some of the biggest names in chiropractic. Cairo Rants is sponsored in part by Now You Know Online and in-office educational services. Learn how to expand your educational outreach to your patients and your community 
at www.nowyouknow.net. The opinions of Cairo Rants are exclusively those of Dr. Braille and do not reflect the opinions of any associations, groups, institutions, or sponsors mentioned in these podcasts. This has been Cairo Rants. Thank you.